Hey everybody, Ray Lucchese here with Keith Townsend. Welcome to another sponsored episode of the Greybeards on Storage podcast, a show where we get Greybeards bloggers together with storage assistant vendors to discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center today. And now it's my pleasure to adi- introduce Adit Madan, Director of Product for Alexio. I just got back from Cloudfield Day 15 last week and thought Alexio would make an interesting continuation to those discussions. So it did. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what Alexio does for cloud workloads? Hi, everyone. This is Adit Madan. I'm a Director of Product Management at Alexio, where I've been for several years. I would say I've spent the better part of my working career at Alexio, which is uh, six years is the term I have been working in the company uh, right since the beginning, uh, started off in engineering, working across different roles uh, before I ended up in product management uh, a few years back. Uh, it's, it's been an exciting journey uh, at Luxio, seeing uh, the company evolve, uh, uh, go through different stages uh, of usage uh, with customers, the, how the use cases have evolved. Uh, and uh, with that, uh, maybe I'll, I'll talk a little bit about uh, Alexio itself. Uh, we we are uh, a company which started off uh, as part of the AMP lab at UC Berkeley. Uh, as you guys all know, uh, that that's the same lab which gave birth to the Spark project, uh, which is now uh, Databricks. Uh, so we were in the same research lab, uh, but we went off in a different direction. So in, instead of trying to be uh, yet another uh, compute engine, uh, what we did was we uh, we decided to address a, a different part of the problem. So we are trying to address the access of data across different compute engines, uh, across different environments. And, and we can uh, talk more about that as we go. So it's a data gravity issue, uh, as we would like to say in the storage business. Data is tough to move around uh, and it's tough to access from lots of different places, considering it's only located in one location, right? Yeah, I- exactly. So I, I think like the, the problem of uh, data access itself uh, surfaces uh, in different ways uh, for companies in different segments. For large enterprises, it is exactly what you said. Uh, they they might have, for example, for business intelligence applications, they might have uh, a, a variety of different data sources. And since it's a large organization, it's not uncommon to have these spread across uh, different silos uh, in, in different regions of the country, different re- uh, parts of the world, or even uh, between some data sources on premises and some in the cloud. So where we come in uh, is providing uh, whatever applications need access to data, sometimes a federation of data across these sources. Uh, We are providing a unified way of accessing it, regardless of what the application on top is. So so your solution is open source software, is that correct? Yes, uh, we we are uh, an open source uh, software. The company itself uh, follows the open core model. Uh, we have an open source which and the corresponding community edition, uh, which is uh, free to download, uh, free to uh, to look at the source code, contribute, and then we have the enterprise edition of the product, which is 
which is closed source, uh, which builds on top of the open source. Uh, and, and that's what we call our enterprise edition. That's a rather large problem. <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> so is, yeah. There, is there like a target market or use case for that the team is focusing on? Uh, yeah. So, so when I said, uh, I mean, the, the larger vision, like I said, I started off by saying uh, any kind of application. So the first way in which we focus in is when we say applications, there are different kinds of data-driven applications. Uh, we, the, the market in terms of the applications, the market that we're focusing in on is, is obviously uh, uh, since we, uh, um, uh, we since I uh, talked about the likes of Spark and other engines like that, it, it's focused initially on uh, large-scale analytics and BI and SQL OLAP application, not general application, not like a general-purpose file system. Uh, what we've built is specifically for the needs of uh, initially analytics and, and then uh, going down into uh, machine learning and deep learning. That's how the company. Uh, evolved. So, so analytics historically has been, I'm guessing, Hadoop kinds of things, and and uh, I'm thinking sequential access and things of that nature, maybe object storage kinds of stuff. So, in your solution, you you deploy as software that runs at uh, various locations of a company's uh, environment. Is that how it would work? Uh, yeah. So, uh, I think uh, a, a lot of times what happens is. Uh, uh, the software that we provide is deployed uh, in in one region or, or uh, of the company's infrastructure, and then it kind of evolves as we expand within the organization to having multiple instances uh, of the same software. And and the software provides uh, sort of a a protocol stack at both locations. So you know, if I'm at a Let's say I'm sitting in AWS and I want to access uh, S3 object sitting in my my uh, my enterprise on-prem here. So I'd have software at both locations, presumably, and one would be you know a, a target, one would be a um, a client. Is that? This is the situation that you described. Uh, actually, we would need only one instance of our software in this case, and, and that's a typical scenario where which comes in uh, for. Let's say, I mean, for large organizations who are uh, looking for some agility to move, uh, to be able to utilize the cloud, but not completely move away from their on-prem infrastructure. Should be like so cloud bursting kind of solution or something like that. Exactly. So like for a cloud bursting kind of solution, we would deploy Aluxio. Aluxio is always deployed close to the application which needs access to data. So in this case, the application, the compute, which is running in the cloud. So we would have Aluxio in the cloud providing access to data which uh, may reside on premises. So that, that's really interesting from a architecture perspective. I'm really interested to see how this kind of uh, mess or fabric works. And I guess we should start it there. There's, you know, the concept of a data mesh or data fabric. Where does Aluxio sit in the definition of those two different types of approaches? You think there are two different types, Keith? I mean, that's a whole different discussion. I think you can have a data mesh running on a data fabric. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I suppose. I mean, you, I mean, you don't need a data fabric to have a data mesh. Now, what is a uh, data mesh? Let's start there, Keith. So 
I view a data mesh as the kind of what we're talking about now, the this this access layer, this ability to take data from unique sources and provide a consistent API or experience, so a mesh of data. A data fabric is specifically focused on how do I get the bits from point A to point B. So one's logical and one's physical kind of view. Uh, one one takes care of the logical and another one t- takes care of the physical uh, movement of data. Mm-hmm. All right. Now I bet you need to answer the question. <laughs> No, no, that, that, that's a great question. And I think data mesh itself has been a, a hot topic of, of discussion these days. So I like the the high-level categorization of calling uh, a data mesh uh, the logical layer, or, or even uh, like sometimes people say it's more of how the organization uh, works, uh, who is the owner of data, uh, which team uh, is responsible for oper- operationalizing. Uh, the data. Uh, I feel like that's that's a lot of the conversations around uh, data mesh itself. Whereas, uh, uh, like like you said, uh, the fabric it, it's itself uh, it's encompassing uh, kind of like almost like it's defining uh, a, a layer in the data stack which which serves a, a particular uh, purpose. Whereas data mesh is is more of a concept which can be realized uh, using different tools. Uh, dif- different vendors kind of have different tools uh, for, for making up the solution. Whereas the fabric uh, approach it, it, it is kind of prescribing an, an approach that. Connectivity and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree completely. So I mean, back to this, you know, AWS cloud bursting compute solution here. So the S3 data is sitting in my on-prem and you have a, a layer sitting in the, the AWS compute, I assume, doing some stuff to provide access to the EC2 instances sitting there to the data that's sitting on-prem. Are you are you caching data? Are you you are you cataloging the data? I mean, there's lots of stuff that I could consider doing as a, let's say a data mesh solution for S3 data or HDFS data or even NFS data, things of that nature. I mean, so where does where does Alexio fit into that sort of thing? I mean, what are you caching? That's the first question. Are you are you going out and gathering all the metadata for the data sitting at the target location or the source location rather? I'm sorry, my mistake. No, that, that's that's a great uh, great question. So, uh, what what Aluxio is is doing uh, with this layer? Uh, it first question, yes, uh, Aluxio is providing uh, caching abilities as well. Uh, once you have uh, to provide uh, access of of data uh, across these different regions without any dependencies on compute, which is running on prem in, in this scenario, uh, the caching. Um, clearly is a necessity uh, for this kind of a solution. Uh, and, and I mentioned that it, it's, uh, that it is a requirement for this kind of a solution because uh, this, this kind of federation uh, could be constructed in different ways which do not uh, depend on, on caching itself. So you could, when you're running compute in the cloud, uh, you could send your compute job on-premises, get the results back, and then just transmit the results. But this kind of mechanism is, is not really depending on, on caching, but it has the downside of that you're still 
dependent on your uh, compute on premises. So if you were actually in the situation in which you, the reason why you wanted to burst to the cloud was that you didn't have an, enough compute resources on prem, it is not really so solving the problem. So yeah, Aluxio is caching uh, and Aluxio is providing a, a view of all of the data. So it is uh, collecting the metadata uh, for uh, whatever data is present uh, present across different sources. But at the same time, uh, once we get into what the entire solution looks like, uh, we, we are not uh, providing uh, governance, for example. Uh, we hook into systems which provide governance. Uh, so so Aluxio is not saying coming in and saying that Aluxio is the cataloging and governance solution. Uh, Aluxio is plugging into a, a few different components in the stack uh, to provide uh, the, the solution itself. When you say governments, you're talking about um, security, protection, access rights, those sorts of things, or access logging kinds of things, or? Uh, exactly. So uh, if, if you think about governance and just uh, even limited to two of the things that you mentioned, uh, logging and also access control, uh, which team can access which data sets and, or, or which individuals can access which data sets, uh, Aluxio hooks into different components to provide that solution. So this is, you know, kind of next level conversation that we get right into, which I'm, I'm not complaining. Uh, the one of the challenges when we're talking about stretching access of data from on-premises systems to the public cloud is that uh, ETL of the metadata of that who has access to what systems, so that when I'm making not necessarily, I'm assuming we're not making copies of the data, but we're extending access to the of the data. So when we inject some type of proxy for that data to speed up access, et cetera, et cetera. The question is, how do we maintain access control, especially as we begin to extend the capability? Uh, we're talking about OL, OL, OLAP, OL, OLAP, analytics. I can never say that. <laughs> we're talking about analytics data. So we're not transacting on the data, but access control is still critical because this data could still be sensitive. So I guess the question is, how is access control extended to this new cloud environment? If I'm building a net new app in on EC2 instances that's hitting the Aluxio appliance, how do I how do I ensure my security uh, policy is enforced across this new 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 app? Yeah, so maybe let's let's use uh, the the data mesh uh, concepts and terminology to talk through uh, that example. Uh, maybe let's Im imagine an enterprise which has uh, two different teams. Uh, one is uh, the owner of data, like where who who is responsible for deciding who can access uh, access the data, and then there's another team uh, which needs access to the data itself. Now, uh, if, if you just break it up on say that who has the responsibility of deciding uh, what are the policies of who should act, be able to access what, it, it would be the, the data owner, the team which, uh, which is the owner of, of the data itself. So, so that, that doesn't, doesn't really change. But if you look at where Aluxio comes in, uh, Aluxio is on the consumer side. So team B, which needed access to data from team A, 
that is using Alexio and Alexio is kind of hooking into the data co- governance tools like an Apache Ranger, Prevacera, or any other ways like like a Styro OPA. There, there's many different modules which the the data owner uh, they could use for enforcing these uh, data policies. So you become sort of like a pass through for whatever the credentials that are required on prem. You're you know the application is doing is presenting those credentials to the um, Alexio solution at uh, the consumer side where the compute is and, and you're passing those credentials across, I guess. Is that what you're trying yeah. to say? Yeah, so uh, Luxio does become uh, does become a pass-through. Um, in more more technical terminology, uh, it, it, it impersonation. Uh, we can be impersonate to be the user uh, and whoever is enforcing the policies uh, are kind of enforcing the policies as if the user was accessing it, not, not Alexia. Uh, uh. Now, it seemed like I was reading your your uh, your website, and and you talk about multiple cloud support. You talk about uh, you know I, I mentioned HDFS and S three, but it must be like four or five other different access protocols as well. And could you talk about some of that? Oh yeah, the, the, the definitely. So uh, so I think that a little bit of uh, history of the the project. So once we uh, when we began. Uh, as you guys know, we, we talked about uh, Hadoop uh, and we, we talked about like generally the, the kind of interfaces which were prevalent in uh, the big data ecosystem. And, and that's where our uh, HDFS interface came into play. So we the purpose of the HDFS interface is, is simply, and uh, the rest of the interfaces as well now, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second, it, it, it's just making it uh, a lot easier to introduce uh, Aluxio into the mix. So, um, so on on the data API front, I would say um, HDFS it, it was used to be the most popular way of accessing Aluxio, but these days uh, the S3 interface and uh, the POSIX interface, specifically for uh, machine learning and deep learning applications, uh, that's kind of like the three three main interfaces of accessing. Uh, Aluxio across these variety of applications that a data platform may be onboarding, and then and then different cloud yeah. support. Yeah, that, that that's an interesting one. Maybe we can we can spend uh, a, a little bit of of time on that as well. Uh, on on the support for multiple clouds. Uh, I mean, we we talked about one one situation in which you may want. To access data across these different regions, we 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 start we started uh, talking about uh, cloud bursting, which is kind of on-prem to 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 a cloud. But in, increasingly, what we're hearing from uh, our customers is, uh, I mean, we we all know that no one likes to be uh, uh, vendor locked, right? And vendor locked even means no one likes to be tied to uh, one specific cloud. Uh, and I, I'm sure you you've heard the same thing as uh, as we have. Most of the customers, if not all of the customers that we're dealing with, they they start off with, uh, uh, if they are using the cloud, they uh, they start off with one cloud, but they will definitely migrate to to another cloud uh, in the not migrate. I would say they would also adopt add in a second cloud, if not a third cloud, at, at some point in the future. And some of some of our customers already have uh, achieved that, and others are kind of headed in that direction so 
for 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 just keeping uh, these kind of enterprises in mind, uh, one of the things uh, that uh, we we also promote uh, as something that Aluxio is solving is is the fact that uh, it's making your applications portable. Uh, Aluxio is not the one thing which is making it portable, but but it's contributing uh, in a significant way on the data API side that is making your applications portable such that you can just lift your applications and run it uh, in whichever environment uh, is most suitable. And, and most suitable can be for, for a couple of different re reasons. Sometimes most suitable could just mean that you have, an ac you have access to a particular service from a particular cloud vendor, which is more um, suitable for for the job at hand so it's kind of application semantics dependent and other times other times it's like a cost reason you may negotiate a better price from a, a different cloud vendor so this ability to just move your application without moving the data itself so this separation of application and storage is uh, is, is critical here just the ability to move wherever without considering the data gravity problem which we started off with uh, uh, th that's really critical, and that's kind of behind, where, like that's kind of what you might have seen with our with our multi cloud messaging. BI kinds of things, or even AM, AI ML. We're talking about lots and lots of data. Uh, even though you're sitting there and caching things and stuff like that, when you're talking about accessing, I don't know, terabytes, petabytes of data, we're still talking considerable. Yeah, the latency becomes an issue. The bandwidth becomes an issue that's allowed. I, I, how do you deal with some of those sorts of things? Obviously, caching can deal with some of the latency things, but at some point, you actually have to go and grab the data from wherever it is, right? Uh, definitely. So, uh, and, and this is one of the first questions that we always uh, get from prospects. Uh, it, it's almost like we hear that it, it's it, it sounds good, uh, and if it worked, we would definitely use it. But there's always uh, this doubt that it's uh, it's too good to be true right, in in some ways. So uh, for, for this, what we uh, caching plays a a, a huge role. Uh, and in, in addition to caching, we we have uh, the first thing I would say on on the network side uh, with the latency and bandwidth. Uh, you, you have to uh, keep in mind that uh, we. We are the first thing is that there is a selection of, of data uh, which moves. So we are not blindly moving, uh, or even in the context of caching, we are not blindly caching everything under the hood. Just taking the example of like a, a BI application which might be operating of on years of years of data, let's say three three plus years of data, petabytes of data which is residing uh, in in one one region. Uh, and you're accessing it from from another region. So we we are able to select uh, what needs to be moved. Uh, and the second thing is that uh, there's a lot of capabilities around uh, preloading, prefetching uh, th these policies uh, in in the layer that we provide, which are able to eliminate uh, the latency effects. Uh, and the, the, just taking this a little further is that you only take the hit. Uh, the first time, and as you like the access pattern of these applications based on what we've observed uh, with uh, uh, something that we validated validated across a lot of our community and enterprise users is the access patterns are such that uh, 
it it make it makes caching effective. Uh, so like that that's kind of a few things uh, that I would. I mean, just taking an uh, extreme example, um, we we have a lot of people who are splitting their machine learning or deep learning pipeline by uh, let's say pre-processing in the cloud, but they want to own the GPUs on premises and run the application on premises, but while the data itself resides in a cloud object store. And if you just look at the access pattern of these training jobs, they, they repeatedly, continuously, they, they fetch it once, which takes the lat latency and bandwidth hit, but then once the data is available, the model is, is just incrementally you keep reading the same data and with a slightly with a little bit of a difference and you keep doing this in a loop so that's where it, where it really makes a solution more effective yeah 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 exactly so i mean they're they're a they're batched and b they they do a number of epics across the same data and things of that nature randomized of course um but yeah, so that that brings up the question of how big your cache can be so if i'm you know if i'm fronting a petabyte of data <laughs> And allowing you know customers to access pretty much that data, uh, you know, in a let's say sequential pattern stuff like that. We're still talking. You probably need a significant amount of cash, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on the situation. But uh, uh, just uh, a few of our larger uh, examples. It's not uncommon to have uh, half a petabyte of cash, uh, for for example. Uh, Ooh, in, well, in, we're in talking the, real stuff. Okay, in, now in, I understand. In the larger uh, scenarios, I mean, depending. Obviously, it really depends on what the working set of your data is. So, uh, and uh, half a petabyte of cash doesn't mean uh, you're spending uh, the same amount of money on your analytics platform. If you just look at where the amount of spend that you have on on storage versus GPUs or compute, the storage spend is 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 kind of a very small percentage of of the entire spend so with that in mind one of the things that's coming up as a question becomes observability and improvement and what knobs we can turn to improve latency and uh uh, uh just uh, the throughput etc so I would imagine the target audience for a lot of this is not necessarily IT infrastructure people. They're application developers, people who are born in the cloud and, and extending capabilities. How do you help those operators identify the knobs they can turn on the network or the cloud provider side, whether it's increasing the cache size from a storage perspective resizing that virtual machine that's that's doing the caching versus simply just doing a direct connect, doing a direct connect and the speed of the direct connect. So I, it's really the visibility of the performance of the data mesh, I guess I'd call it. And and, and what 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 sort of knobs or how do you tell the users in this environment, you know, what knobs they can play with and what knobs they can't, I guess. No, that that's again uh that's again a great question and i, I wouldn't claim uh that we've uh, solved the problem entirely uh but we have made a significant progress which i can uh, definitely share because uh, as you can imagine and you pointed out a few things uh how big should my network pipe be uh figuring out these uh, answers to these kinds of questions are not uh trivial uh, by any means 
Uh, just to take uh, one one specific example of uh, a collaboration that we've uh, done uh, with with Meta, actually, uh, we uh, Meta is one of the users uh, uh, of our uh, community edition, uh, and that's one. Uh, that's how uh, our open source also uh, plays into our company strategy as well. In uh, that, a lot of the the innovation uh, for for these kinds of problems happen with with the internet giants. And uh, we and we, we talked about like when we were describing the problem, uh, we we mentioned two two things: how how big uh, should the cache be? How big should my network pipe be? So for for these kind of things. Uh, the the what we've done uh, on on the community side and some of these things uh, we uh, are productionizing as well these days is the, we we call it uh, cash insights and and the workload itself themselves are not like uh, this is not a, a one time exercise uh, these these kinds of insights that you need uh, as the workload keeps changing over time you might keep adding more. Uh, more teams to your platform, so you you kind of have this needs to be a, a continuous exercise. And on the observability front, uh, we actually baked in uh, a functionality in, into uh, our our client itself, which is providing insights based on um, the the access pattern itself. So it has kind of a decision tree, uh, which kind of, which spits out an answer like if my workload. Yeah, sorry, it, it it would answer questions like if my cache size is increased from one uh, x to two x, uh, what would be the impact on the workload? So it is able to answer uh, that kind of question because it, it is seeing a, a, a lot of the access pattern. It's seeing what is hitting the cache, what is not hitting the cache. So and and that's kind of some of the things that we are doing in in that direction i wouldn't say it's a completely solved problem yet but that's uh that's a step in the right direction so you're giving sort of like a predictive uh view of what would what the performance of the application would be if i were to double the network pipe or double a cache size or something whatever the parameters are are those the major ones that, that affect uh the performance of the data mesh um i, I would say the sizing uh, in the context of Voluxio specific uh, Especially, uh, I mean, uh, sizing the cache and sizing the network are, are definitely the major factors. The other, uh, the only other thing that that we haven't said is just uh, how many cores that you need, which is which is kind of the, uh, proportional to the concurrency or, or the workload itself. Uh, but yeah, I feel like the, these are are definitely uh, we captured all kinds of resources, right? So we kind of we talked about CPU concurrency storage, cache, and, and then network, uh, which are the three major factors for sure. So, I mean, so, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot the, about Kubernetes in this world here where Greybeard kind of stuff. So cluster, is it, uh, is it a Kubernetes solution? Does it, does it support multiple nodes for its client support? Um, can you scale up the number of nodes or is it just a single uh, virtual machine or, or dual virtual machine with high availability. Well, the high availability is questioned is a different one, but you know, I so I guess is, is it multi-node solution? That's the first question. That, that definitely. So uh, Luxio is a is a scale-out uh, distributed system. Uh, it, it can be deployed on on Kubernetes, which is increasingly becoming the de facto way of deploying Luxio. Uh, it wasn't always the case, and I think there's still uh, a migration happening uh, and increasingly everyone 
new we come across uh, uh, kubernetes is the way that they uh, deploy and manage and operate Alexia. So I guess the other the going in the other direction, can you consume this as a SaaS? Uh, it it can be. Uh, really? It's not it's not there yet. Uh, uh, I mean we I mean we we're not. I mean, I mean can be. I meant would you see value if there was a SaaS service? Yes, but Alexia is not a SaaS service yet. That's not something that we provide uh, as of now. Okay. Well, that's that's good. So it supports Kubernetes uh, clusters. So you would, you would, your client software would be deployed as containers in the Kubernetes cluster. Is that how it work, or would be separate Kubernetes cluster with your client software somehow connected to other Kubernetes clusters? Ah, uh, so so we we have both ways actually, uh, and it makes sense uh, for for. Uh, different enterprises uh, both kind of make sense. We we do have the situation in, in which, uh, let's say, the client itself are uh, just as an example. Let's say I'm using uh, Spark on on Kubernetes, uh, running ephemeral clusters of these in, in the cloud. So you would deploy a Luxio as a separate uh, Kubernetes cluster, which is has a different lifecycle from the ephemeral Spark clusters themselves. Uh, which uh, Alexia also on 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 Kubernetes. The the client itself is based is embedded inside uh, Spark itself. So our client uh, uh, for for Spark itself, uh, our client is is not uh, a separate process. It, it's not running anywhere, but it's something which is a library embedded in in Spark itself. Uh, and like I said, once you're using something like an S3 API, you don't even need any uh, a custom client. So out of the box, uh, Spark on any of your applications, which is talking, uh, which is able to talk the S3 interface, uh, can interface with Alexio without any changes. So I'm, I'm still trying to understand this. So the client software itself ends up being deployed as part of the Spark functionality. Um, is there other applications where that's the case, or 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 you know Kafka? Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's probably a dozen dozen different SQL or NoSQL databases out there, um, those sorts of things. I mean, how would they deploy your client software? Yeah, so uh, maybe let's let's look at uh, a different uh, category uh, of applications. Uh, let's say we're using something like a PyTorch uh, for machine learning, yeah. deep learning, and in those scenarios, uh, we we provide uh, something called a CSI driver on Kubernetes, a container storage interface, which right. makes Alexio look like a local file system. Right. So on, on on the client side, we would install uh, our driver, so to say, uh, our CSI driver, uh, which is able to interface with Alexio. And okay. then the application themselves, uh, the containers, they, they'll just talk to a mount point inside their containers. Like a local file system. What I what I hear there isn't a fixed way to deploy this. So if I have a container app and I don't want to deal with the networking of making external calls of from the cluster to even cluster, if it's a yeah. namespace to an S3 or a different uh, mount or whatever, I can build that app with the Luxio cluster or, or Luxio. Uh, nodes within that cluster. So if that's best for my application and operations design, I can do that. If I want the data to live independent of the app lifecycle or the app's uh, instances, 
then I can build a dedicated cluster and just simply make S3 calls to that cluster. So okay. it, it really depends on, on, on the application uh, and the kind of and, application. And whatever my operations are. So if I'm a data team and I'm providing data to multiple applications in a public cloud, then I'd build the cluster and it'd be independent of the individual app cluster. So even at the, the we were kind of focusing on Kubernetes, but it's not unique to Kubernetes. I could have AWS services. I could have GPU uh, ML AI instances running against this data hosted in this cluster. As a data service provider, I'm just managing the data independent of the applications and just providing you know, centralized uh, caching and capability for multiple teams and applications. Uh, absolutely, and we, we actually published a, a case study uh, of uh, an organization, Expedia actually, which is, is doing uh, precisely that. So this is something we published a couple of weeks back, so that's why it, it's fresh uh, in my memory. Uh, but they're using different services, like they're using uh, different variants of uh, Spark and Trino, open source flavors, but also services like uh, a Databricks or a Starburst uh, in in uh, AWS too, uh, with a, a dedicated uh, Aluxio cluster, as you were describing. That brings up a question now. Um, in this sort of solution, do you support, let's say, multiple locations for the source data to the same target? So if I, let's say I've got multiple on-premise locations throughout uh, America for high availability or something like that, can I have my application sitting in GCP talk to all three locations? I mean, yeah. I might be separate mount points, I guess. Is that mm -hmm. depending on, on the configuration, I suppose? Exactly. And we do have a lot of people who, who are deploying Aluxio in that way. So we provide something called a namespace, uh, which is uh, looks like an object and file uh, namespace, and uh, precisely what you said, we would have different uh, mount points for the different uh, data sources. So it's essentially uh, mapping uh, a section of the Luxio namespace uh, to a different data source. Yeah, we used to call these things global file systems kinds of thing. Also noticed on your website that you support uh, different vendor storage. I, I, I noticed NetApp and Dell. I, I think MinIO is there as well. Uh, yeah, uh, we, we, we support uh, a, a huge variety of, of different stores on the, on the south side. I, I would say the most uh, more common uh, ones, uh, actually the most common protocols, uh, one uh, is the S3 pro protocol, which is extremely common, followed by the protocols uh, by the major cloud vendors like uh, GCS uh, and ADLS uh, from Azure, uh, but also uh, HDFS uh, for uh, organizations uh, who still have HDFS around. Uh, for us, uh, like speaking to, to a MinIO or speaking to an Amazon S3 or speaking to a, a Cloudian, uh, it, it looks, uh, um, functionality-wise, uh, it, it, it's the same. Obviously, once you get into, into the operations, uh, there, are, there are differences of how you would tune the system. But uh, functionality-wise, uh, it's the same driver uh, that we use to speak to uh, different kinds of uh, storage modules on the south side of Alexia. Yeah, so let's say a NetApp solution would have, you know, SMB or, yeah, SMB 3, if it have NFS version 3, maybe version 4, it would have uh, S3 potentially types of protocols. And the, are you only supporting 
uh, S3 in those sorts of environments? Uh, no, we, we, we also do support uh, a, a local file system interface on our south side. So anything which speaks POSIX, uh, pretty much, uh, we would also support that. So in, in, since you mentioned NetApp, it, it, uh, we actually uh, collaborated with NetApp uh, recently over the last year, uh, and uh, they didn't mention us even in their earnings report, uh, which came came out a couple of weeks ago so which is on the s3 so we have heavily collaborated with them on the the s3 front because especially for the kind of workloads that the applications that we which is our market with these data-driven applications um, the s3 interface is, is the more popular one compared to some of the other kinds of storage that you mentioned how is something like uh, your enterprise solution priced? Yeah, our enterprise solution is uh, right now we price it based on the amount of resources that you allocate uh, to Aluxia. So it's, it's very similar to other vendors in our space in which you kind of price based on how much uh, CPU, how much uh, storage of cache that you have allocated to Aluxio. And these parameters are, are what we charge on. Uh, we used to do, uh, I mean, we still are the primary way of in which we sell our software is annual licenses. So you would, based on the resources, we would give you a, a price of how many resource hours can you use across the year. And you would get into an annual contract with Alexia. So I would have thought that you might have uh, the source data size as being a, 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 a component of the price. Like if I wanted to, if I wanted to take a, a petabyte data lake, for instance, I'm sitting with uh, my home computer system and I wanted mm -hmm. to be able to access it through Azure or something like that. Uh, you know, the client is going to take, you know, cache and storage and networking and EC2 instances or whatever the counterpart is for, for Azure. But, you know, having a petabyte of storage under, accessible <laughs> uh, ability, I guess, um, that could be a, a one of the components, but you're, you're not doing that. It's really, it's the amount of storage, it's the amount of resources, compute, storage, networking resources consumed by the client at uh, wherever the client's deployed. Exactly. So in, in the scenario that you described, if you have like a couple of petabytes of data, but you only end up accessing uh, half a petabyte, oh, yeah. uh, we, we wouldn't charge you for everything. So like the right. second factor that I depend, uh, that I said, it's more like uh, what is at any given point in time, uh, how much data would you be accessing? It doesn't matter if you have like tons and tons of data. Uh, we It's kind of a working set measure almost. Ex exactly. It, it is exactly a working set measure. So we are, uh, and I mean, generally, um, uh, this is agree agreeable uh, to customers as well yeah, because yeah. I mean you don't want to price uh, based on something that they have. You kind of want to price based on what value they're getting out of Alexia. If they're not accessing a lot of data which is there for archival or historical purposes, then you, you're not really getting anything out of Alexia. So why why should Alexia charge for that? Yeah, I guess the, the like a, a, a sample use case or and how you value this would be. If I had a bunch of ERP data that was in my data warehouse sitting on-prem 
and I go to ask at that data warehouse, that traditional data warehouse, a business logic question, and I just don't have the CPU mm -hmm. or capability to answer that question on-prem, I deploy this solution to the cloud where I, where I do have the CPU and TPUs to answer that question. And in the end of the day, it should be kind of this thing that I can turn on and off to say, instead of building, you know, a SAP HANA solution or Spark solution on-prem, I can use it as needed in the cloud and I should only pay by the drip. And that drip is how much, how quickly can I get that business answer versus how quickly I could have gotten it on-prem. Well, that's a great point. I asked a question about HA or high availability earlier. I, I, I'm assuming because your multi-node solution use uh, those sorts of capabilities to support high availability. Is that is that correct? Uh, yeah, definitely. So we uh, we do support uh, high availability, uh, and uh, the the component of Luxio which is responsible for managing uh, the metadata uh, across this system. Uh, we, we do replicate, we kind of have a replicated state machine. Uh, we use uh, certain libraries uh, for consensus uh, and we are able uh, to make sure that if any one node goes down, we are still providing high availability uh, access to, to data. And, and the other thing to really note is, is that, uh, I, I talked about the metadata portion of it, but uh, if you kind of, if you, talk about the data itself and you terminate Aluxio completely, uh, we we have, uh, we. this is one of the things which is core to our uh, philosophy was that whether Aluxio is there or not, uh, you should still be able to access the data. So if even if Aluxio uh, is terminated and you lose data cached in Aluxio, Aluxio can always recover uh, by accessing the underlying source directly. There is this question about writing. I mean, obviously reading for BI and, and machine learning is, is, is probably the predominant access. But if I were to say, create uh, an object um, with using Alexio to create it on-prem and I'm sitting in uh, GCP in this case, does A does write, are, are you able to create um, files or objects with Alexio uh, through the client or, or is that not? Yes, clear? yes, yes, we, we, we are a read-write uh, solution. That, that brings up a lot of potential um, conflicts, you know, where, where the data is at any instant in time. Is it available uh, at, the, at the, the source location uh, or, or wherever you're actually storing it? How does it get there? How often is it updated? Those sorts of things. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of um, mm -hmm. data integrity issues with respect to supporting uh, this sort of proxy right kind of thing throughout, uh, you know, multiple clouds, right? Multiple on-premise location, wherever the client software is running, you could potentially have access to an object bucket or an object, yeah, a bucket. No, definitely, it's it's not not an easy uh, problem, and and something that we've uh, we've only uh, built uh, across the years. So for the right path itself, we. We we have different policies or different ways of of, of writing. Uh, in certain scenarios, but let's say you're doing the computation in the cloud, uh, what could happen is let's say there is a certain analysis that I want to do as an analyst, but then when I'm writing, I'm writing it back to to a bucket that I I own, which doesn't really have the consistency problem. 
that that you described. But in other scenarios, I, I want the right uh, to be written back uh, to on-prem and consumed uh, by by other applications running on-prem. So yeah. we we have different uh, ways or, or different policies in Alexio of when should data uh, propagate uh, from Alexio to the underlying store? Uh, mm. Should it go synchronously? Should it go asynchronously? But also okay. on top of that, uh, once you're operating in these multiple environments, we, we have sophisticated mechanism of, of synchronization of like what happens, uh, should the update be synchronized immediately? Uh, uh, can I bear with eventual consistency uh, a lag of a few seconds? Uh, if you look at some of the more transactional uh, workloads on top uh, these days, with especially with um, it, when you're looking at a table formats like an iceberg or a hoodie, uh, you kind of need a little uh, different semantics uh, operating in multiple environments compared to uh, if you were just operating on, let's say, a raw parquet file, which can, uh, since there's no, uh, the semantics are looser, uh, eventually right, can, uh, right. that kind of uh, policy works works better in those scenarios. All right. Well, this has been great. Keith, any last questions for Adit? No, not not that we have time for it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a, there's a ton of, uh, I think we could spend another hour at least talking through some of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adit, anything you'd like to say to our listening audience before we close? Yeah, maybe the, the only only thing I would uh, say is that uh, if you are a, a large enterprise, uh, I would always encourage you to plan uh, for agility, uh, plan mm. uh, to be able to move or to make your applications reside uh, where uh, they should be uh, without really caring about the data gravity problem because uh, there, there are solutions uh, for, for that, but always plan for agility. Maybe that's the last thing I would say. Well, this has been great. Thank you very much for being on our show today. Thank you for having me. Until next time. Next time, we will talk to another system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, as this will help get the word out.